great. I appreciate uh, Scott's humor and the opening jokes. Uh, he didn't touch the obvious one. We began this this uh, service today with a sermon title of Noah, the true story, with our God Almighty reigns from heaven above. <laughs> I was just waiting, you know, when, when are we going to hear that one? But anyways, okay. I'm going to, Cameron's got some uh, slides he's going to get up there for us in a minute. Just use the PowerPoint if that's going to work. It's just a question. How many people have actually seen the movie Noah that's out? Okay, not a great crowd of moviegoers, I see. Okay. Uh, It was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, this week I've had an opportunity to have some interesting conversations with people just about this movie. And it's interesting, not as many people has actually seen it as I thought might have seen it. Uh, I guess they've got some, you know, plus and minuses reviews and that kind of thing. But what's interesting is uh, that Hollywood would even sort of approach this and say, okay, let's make a movie about Noah. But maybe what was even more interesting that got some attention was the actual director of the film was an atheist. And so that absolutely had people curious. Uh, I don't know exactly what uh, Russell Crowe's religious convictions are, uh, but, but uh, the actual man who directed the film very much made it known, I don't believe in God myself. So it is kind of interesting, because uh, the story for some reason grabs his attention. And it's interesting because I think, in, generally in our culture, these sort of end time stories, apocalyptic stories, are kind of interesting. Did anyone see the movie 2000 and 2012? Uh, more people saw that, but still not too many. Okay. Okay, well, it's out on DVD, much cheaper. But anyway, um, you know, this was about uh, the, the Mayan calendar predicting the end of the world and, you know, all these catastrophes and everything happened. And what was interesting about 2012 is they ended up saving everyone they could through arcs. So uh, the story wasn't original. It's been done before. But, uh, you know, with the movie being released just a a month ago, I don't want to uh, spoil it for everybody, but there will be a little bit of spoilers. And maybe even you'll get a little interested in in, uh, watching it. Uh, I love movies. I love special effects. I I love seeing somebody make something look believable. And uh, it's not that I don't believe in the flood, it's just that I didn't see it. Uh, And I'm not actually that anxious to want to see it myself. Uh, sometimes when it's rained here in Birmingham for three days in a row, I kind of think it's coming. But uh, that's not what was happening uh, back at this time. This flood covered the whole world, and it really changed the world. Uh, hopefully we can get this little movie clip to run. Uh, Cameron, you want to move it to the next? Okay. It should just go by itself. that one day, if man continued in his way, the Creator would annihilate this world. It may not be a worst. He speaks to you. You must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. I saw water. Death by water. That's on your life. A great flood is coming. We build a vessel to survive the storm. We build an ark. What do you want? You don't know your king. There's nothing for you here. I have men at my back. And you stand alone and defy me. I'm not alone. Desperate, and there will be many. Take the arc! 
Madame Vanilla, I choose you for the reason. That's the end of everything. Begin. Yeah, I received no money for that, just so you know. That was just free, free advertising. We can move the next slide. You know, this, this movie was taglined with this. In a world ravaged by human sin, Noah is given a divine mission to build an ark to save creation from the coming flood. And what's interesting, if we look at the scriptures... Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, which is giving a summary of many of the men and women of faith who did various things for God. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And it's interesting uh, that we have an atheist making the difference of Scripture by saying not Noah's family, but the creation. That was the word that he's choosing uh, to use here. And the movie does basically follow the outline of the Bible story. Noah builds an ark for the purpose of saving. But even in these short sentences, we see the difference. How many, how many of you read a, the story of Noah just as a child? Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> you know, we have accomplished that, okay? Uh, you know, it, it, there's fun. And, and I bet you all of us had some kind of Noah toy at some point. Because the fun about Noah is about the animals, right? And I don't know, I, I think a lot of people that think that's so much fun didn't grow up on farms. Uh, haven't dealt with the consequences of having a lot of animals. Uh, in the movie, Noah figured out a way to put all the animals to sleep. Uh, and uh, by burning some kind of leaf constantly inside the uh, ark, um, and, and animals then fell asleep. Of course, one critic immediately uh, posted that if an elephant was asleep for more than eight hours on one side, their, his internal organs would crush everything else and he would die. So uh, that wasn't really well thought out. But anyways, uh, the movie was trying to capture this idea of this destruction that came on the earth. And the fact that there was this one man, Noah, chosen by God. And there's some things in the, in the movie... It's interesting, if you watch it and you go there ex expecting to see just simply the Bible story uh, come to life, you're going to be disappointed. Um, I, I barely could keep Tammy in her seat after about an hour and a half, because it got kind of off track so far, okay? And uh, it's funny because I went and saw it again with Derek, just so I would get my information correct when I was talking about it. But what was interesting is... Uh, actually, when I went to it, knowing that it wasn't going to follow the Bible story so closely, then I enjoyed it more just as a piece of fiction. But what, what the movie and the Bible were in complete agreement is that God asked Noah to build an ark. Interestingly, according to the Bible, Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, who lived the longest of any man in recorded history, he died in the year of the flood. And the movie actually made that into part of the story. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That was in the movie. The floodwaters came from both the heavens and from the ground. And that's in the Bible, how the flood happened. That it, it wasn't just a rain, but it was actually the earth opened up and water was coming up from underneath as well. It's interesting, just about a month ago, there was an article in Time magazine about scientists having discovered vast reservoirs, reservoirs of water much deeper into the Earth's crust than they ever imagined. So that's just an interesting thought. Um, in the Ark, eight human beings were survived. Four men, four women. Well, that, the, the story almost carried that through, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, the flood was both an act of judgment and it was an act of cleansing. And the movie presented it that way, and also that is what the Bible would say. And then after all these amazing victories and success, Noah plants a vineyard and ends up getting drunk on the wine. Of course, Hollywood just had to make sure that was in there. But interesting, I just want to note that the Bible made sure it was in there. And, and what you'll see about the Bible is there's only one perfect person in all of the Bible's story, and that's Jesus. 
And every other hero, every other leader, every other person who stands up to do something for God has their flaws, has their feelings. And uh, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a book that just brushes over uh, history. And so Noah did this amazing thing. And of all the other little anecdotes about Noah's life that we could learn, we learned that after he came out of the ark, he built himself a vineyard, made some wine, and next thing you know, was laying drunk, uh, you know, naked on the ground. You know, so it's kind of an interesting story. But the point being, he did this great thing. God had asked him to do it, but he was still a man and still had his imperfections. But then what's interesting, just, I'll just share briefly what was kind of different in the movie. So your expectations are maybe a little more correct too. But there was this conflict going on. Noah was actually a soldier in the movie. I mean, he was like a guerrilla fighter. Which, you know, if you're a guy, it was kind of cool. But I don't think that's how most women are picturing Noah. You know, sword strapped to his side and ready for the next battle. Um, and another thing in the, in the movie was that Noah dreams that God is speaking to him through visions. And, and, and that's kind of interesting that God's speaking this way because God did speak in vision sometimes to people. But the sad thing in the movie is Noah's never quite certain. What does God mean? And that, there was one little clip there where Methuselah says to him, well, God, know, you'll know what it means. But sort of the message in the movie was, you know what it means simply because you decide what it means. And so it took away this element that God actually is laying out a plan, which we will see is very different than what the scriptures say. Uh, now, there was something quite interesting. Anyone see Lord of the Rings? Do I have any takers there? Okay, now we're going. Okay. But you remember Lord of the Rings, there were these creatures called the Ents. Well, somehow, that got thrown into the movie. They weren't ants, they were rock giants, and angels that had fallen from heaven ended up being covered in, in dirt and molten. They looked like big rock giants. It was interesting. Anyways, um, they played a role in the movie because Noah needed a little bit of reinforcements in his fighting for his family. Um, but maybe the most interesting thing that got really twisted, in, in the Bible story, you have Noah, his three sons, and their four wives. Like one wife each. Okay? Uh, they, they all get in the ark. In the movie, uh, Noah's oldest son, uh, he, they've got sort of a, a, a girl that they'd adopted when she was in a, a preteen or something that they found with, homeless. And that became sort of his, his wife. But the two younger sons didn't have wives. And so the movie, where it goes really far from the scriptures, and it's really in the sole center of the movie, is that Noah basically decides, you know, God just didn't intend to destroy the earth and start again. He actually intended for the human race to end. And so he, he decided, I'm not going to get any wives for my two sons without wives. And the, the woman that was already become part of the family, she was barren and she wasn't able to bear any children. And so he's going, it's going to end with us. And then it, it turns out that through prayer, the, the uh, girl got pregnant. And then Noah was wrestling with the idea, should I kill the babies or not? And so it got pretty weird. That's about when Tammy said, it's time to go. What, what's going on here? Okay. But uh, he, he didn't. Uh, in that moment of facing the children, then he relented and he didn't. And basically what he did in this movie is he disobeyed God because of his own moral judgment. Even the fallen angels, yeah, they left heaven. They weren't supposed to come down to earth and do what they did. But it was because they had compassion for man. And so they left heaven with a good intention, even though, sorry God, we have to disobey you. So my, the point is, in a story that is most spectacular, because a man obeyed God in circumstance that would just be incredible to face, what we really have is a man who is unsure about what he's doing, and then became somewhere in the middle a little bit of a religious fanatic, even thinking the way to fulfill God's will is to murder these two little babies. Because the girl ended up giving birth to twins. And of course, that's how he made the story come true. These two women could be then, uh, you know, grow up to be wives for the other two sons. So there was eight people saved in, you know, kind of. But anyways, um, but what's interesting too, Noah's wife 
is, is against God's will here. Like God's will being for the babies to be killed. Of course, that wasn't God's will, but you know what I'm saying. And then, then she says, this is kind of how the movie ends. Noah, it was your mercy that saved these babies, not God. So what happens when an atheist gets to tell the story of Noah? Uh, God actually comes out rather small in the picture. And I think, we, I think it's still worth seeing because the special effects of the flood happening, the animals going in, and in certain moments, they're really awesome. But the truth is, the, the actual story makes God look uncertain. And so I just want us to move forward. Next slide. Let's talk about the heart of God as shown in the story. So let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. We're going to get the truth here about the story. So Genesis 6, verses 1 to 8. It says, When men began to increase in number on earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, throughout the movie, there's this question about how could God let all these innocent people suffer? I mean, how could God destroy the world? But actually, what the movie's missing is just how God made the world that we live in. God made this world so that we are mortal. Okay, mortality is very real. You'll notice in your bulletin, uh, Mick Andrews' mother passed away this morning. And uh, he's with the family right now. But you know, we've, we've encountered death a lot in our congregation just in, in recent, the last year. And it's part of life. It is part of the natural process of things. God actually made us so that we were mortal. And the reason is, His plan has always been that this was a temporary home for us. And that in fact, we would, through resurrection, achieve a new life. The very thing that uh, Tom was talking about. Of course, this resurrection can be spiritual too. So that we can begin even a new life while we're still here. A spiritual life that could never be done without God's assistance. But I want to just say this to you. This question comes through the movie time and time again. And I actually think it's a good question. Why would the innocent suffer? Why is it, even today, that the innocent suffer in our world? And it's interesting because we all have a sense of justice, right? You know, do you have a sense of justice? Do you, do you get upset when you see something wrong? You know, I know that my own sense of justice works best when someone does something wrong to me. But that's definitely when it's really working well. But you know, right now, even looking, I've got good friends in Russia, I have good friends in Ukraine, and I look at what's going on, and I don't like injustice. I don't like people being treated uh, disrespectfully, and, and their, their property not being valued, and you know, I, that kind of thing bothers me. But we live in a world of incredible injustice. And I know there's a question, why God? Why do you allow injustice? What was the first action of injustice in the Bible? If you go back, it's in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating from the tree that He commanded them not to eat of, and He allowed them to live physically, He allowed them to continue on. In other words, He didn't desert them, He didn't abandon them, He 
actually allowed them to continue in life and search for him. And so the first act of injustice wasn't an innocent person suffering. It was a guilty person going free. And see, you can't have one without the other. If the guilty go free, what happens to the innocent? Okay, who wants God to punish you or us at the first sin we do? I don't know about you, but I don't want justice from God. I want mercy. Anyone else sort of in that vein? Okay. Yeah, I want mercy. But you've got to understand something. Mercy is a form of injustice. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Justice gives you what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I want the free gift that God's giving me. So, so what's happened in this world, the moment that God had mercy, and the guilty weren't just extinguished, and He started yet again. Of course, it would have just been perpetual restarting. Because unfortunately, when we have the choice to do what's right and wrong, at some point, each one of us makes the wrong choice. And see, aren't we grateful that God just doesn't say that's the end? Now, from the creation of Adam to the time of the flood, about 1,500 years of history have gone by. And in all of the population of the earth, there's only one grown man that God, God is looking at and saying, here is a righteous person before me. Now, that's a pretty astounding fact. And we'd like to think, oh, no, there's a lot of good people out there. The truth is, Jesus said this, that the way, to, the way to heaven, the way to salvation is narrow, the way to life, and only a few will find it. And so what happened here is simply God decided it's over. Now, I know that some people think there's too much death in the Old Testament. How can that really be God? But God views our mortality different than we do. You know, God decided from the moment He made us that one day in time, He would end the world. What does that mean? Well, it means who's ever living at that moment that God decides to end it, they die. So in God's perspective, an action of judgment like this was always coming. And in fact, in the, you could say the story of salvation, this happens so we would learn a lesson. The story of Noah and the judgment against the earth is actually for us. So that we can learn a lesson and put it into practice now. About really following God with all of our hearts. So it was sad that Noah didn't really seem to know what God's will was. He was got a little confused. He built the ark and then he got the opinion, well, you know what? The animals, they deserve to live. But human beings deserve to die. Now you can go on the internet and you can join a society that almost believes that. That, that, you know, that the animals need to be protected from the humans. And at some points that's true. We need to be good stewards of the world that God has given us. But the truth is, the creation was finished when God made man and woman. In other words, it was meant to end with us. Because all of it was done for us. This world, this universe we live in, all the stars you see, everything we see, it was created for us as a testimony of who God is and His purpose for our lives. So what we see here in, uh, in this, this passage, men began to increase in number in verse 1, and, and they began to reproduce, and the evilness of the world just grew and grew. When you open up a newspaper today, how much good news is there compared to bad news? I mean, sometimes I even wonder, like, why am I doing this? You know, why am I reading this? But, you know, you, got, you need to, it's important. We need to know what's going on. But on the other hand, there's so many crazy things going on in this world. And I don't think it, the world looks so much different today than it even did back in the time of Noah. But see, God is a compassionate God. We look at God, even though He knew that man was mortal, because He made man mortal, He was grieved that He'd made us. 
Now that's not saying he regretted it. In other words, in the sense that I made a mistake. What God was really saying is, it hurts me personally that people don't get it. That people can't simply live a good life and, and, be, and, and, and get along with each other. So God has compassion. We also see God having patience. You know, if you look in Jude 1.14, that's a New Testament book, but it again tells a little history from the Old Testament. It says that Enoch, who was uh, a few generations before Noah, it says that Enoch foretold the coming destruction. And then in the book of Genesis, Lamech, who was um, Noah's father, when Noah was born, he named him Comfort because he said, with Noah, God will give us rest from our struggles. But then what's interesting, in Genesis 6-3, we just read, when God spoke here, He said, man's years will be 120. Not his lifespan, but this is basically setting up the story for the flood. And so somebody was preaching, in 120 years, judgment will come. And so God was very patient. Because we know from the story, Noah was 500 when he started, and he was 600 when he finished. He was building the ark for a hundred years. Now, how do you feel about a God who gave people a hundred years to repent? I don't know. How, how much do you give other people around you to repent? See, God was willing to give a hundred years. I mean, we were dealing with a very patient God who was continually grieved in his heart with what man was doing to each other. The state of humankind was really bothering him. But we see that God waited patiently in the days of Noah. You know, the other thing, let's just read a little further in Genesis chapter 6. We'll pick it up in verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all the life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is, in, that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, as God looked at the state of mankind, it just, he just said, there's, there's only one way out of this. We need to wipe it clean and start over again. And it's interesting because he uses this word covenant. It's actually the first time in the Bible that the word covenant is used. And a covenant is a contract. It's an agreement that two parties make with each other. And so what, what God is saying to Noah is, here's what you need to do. And he gave Noah a way out. You don't need to be destroyed. I'm going to destroy the earth. But here's your way out. Build an ark. Take your wife. Take your sons. Take their wives. And I will protect you and save you from this destruction. And see, when there's a contract, there's always rewards for obedience, and there's punishments for disobedience. There's an understanding. Sometimes the punishment is simply not receiving the blessing that was promised. 
But it was an agreement that God gave to Noah. Although God's covenant with Noah didn't state conditionally, like a promise, like he would do later, the, the, the law of Moses and then the New Testament is filled with many promises. If we do certain things, God will act. God will respond. He promises. He indebts himself to us. He commits himself. But this was the same principle. Because he didn't say to Noah, if you obey me. He just, he just said to Noah, go do it. And Noah was smart enough to listen to God. Let's just go a little further and talk about Noah's response. So, you know, it was, it was challenging for Noah. I want us to look at a scripture, Genesis 2, verses 5 to 6. You know, the Bible talks about the flood being something spectacular. How an amazing amount of water fell to cover the earth. But look over in Genesis chapter 2. And, and we'll start in verse 4. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Now what's, what's very amazing here is we're giving a picture of the world before the flood. And what it's saying is there was no rain. Now I want us to go back just to Genesis chapter 1. And let's read in verse 6. Again, this is the creation story. And look what God created on the second day. It says, And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Now, when you read that, you think, does he mean land? I mean, what does he mean, an expanse? He goes, So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening, there was morning, the second day. And so what the Bible is telling us, before the flood, there was an amazing amount of water circling the earth, like in a belt above the earth. Now you've, you've seen pictures of Saturn. Saturn has a, a, a ring around it. It's, it's amazing to see. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. But also, some of the atmospheres of the planets in our solar system have layers in them. Well, the scripture saying is, the way God originally made the world, the sky was between waters below and waters above. And see, what we're going to see with the flood is, God opened it up. But there's some very interesting things. As Scott, as Scott was saying, the, the Bible speaks a truth. Now, the Bible wasn't written, you don't read the, new, you know, the Bible and then you get your doctorate degree in physics. I'll tell you this though, believing in the Bible has never hurt anyone from getting their doctrine, doctorate in physics. In many cases, it's motivated people to go get that kind of education. Because they believe in the universe that God has made. They believe in its structure. But what's interesting is, think about how do you describe these things in a few sentences about the creation of the world. And so the sky, it says here, is dividing the waters from above and below. Uh, you know, it's also interesting. Noah, as far as we would know then, has never seen rain. So when God says it's going to rain, it's going to rain so much everyone's going to drown. You can imagine Noah kind of going, rain? Can you imagine that? Now, you know, in England we all believe in rain. But Noah quite possibly had never seen anything like rain. And he's being told that this rain's going to fall and cover the earth. But you know, we don't know that Noah's ever seen a boat. And it's interesting too, as, as Scott had mentioned, that the, the dimensions of the boat are the dimensions boat builders use today. These are the appropriate dimensions for a seagoing vessel. What's also interesting, if you actually built the ark, its size, it would be equal to 500 railroad cars. 
You could fit 500 railroad cars into the ark as it's described here. And that would be enough that the calculations have been done. It would be enough to hold all the species of animals. It's big enough. And it's a boat. So here's Noah. As far as we know, he's never seen rain. As far as we know, he's never seen a boat. And he's told, it's going to rain, and I want you to build a boat. And it's going to float, and it's going to save you. I don't know about you, but I think he's got some good faith here. The other thing about Noah is, he obeyed God. You know, we ended chapter 6, verse 22. It said, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Look over in chapter 7, just the next chapter, verse 5. And Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Go to verse 9. Uh, as God had commanded Noah, he did. And then verse 16. It says, The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. The Lord shut them in. What do we have repeated four times in 17 verses? God, uh, Noah did what God commanded him to. See, faith isn't simply saying, I believe God exists. Faith is responding to what God has asked us to do. Now, in our case, it's the good news of the gospel. But that's a response. Just hearing the good news won't save you. You've got to accept it, your responsibility for it, and act, respond to God in faith. Faith is a response. Because there's a lot of people that hear the gospel and they don't respond in faith. But the message, Noah was challenged. And so, we see that Noah's this life, and I'm just going to sum up the story. I'm going to jump to the end. How can you look at the story? God took initiative and established a covenant with Noah, requiring of him to build an ark according to his specifications. Noah did everything God asked him to, maybe taking a hundred years. Then God opened the floodgates of heaven and it rained for 40 days. And then after 150 days, God sent a wind to dry up the flood. And after one year had passed, the ark was sitting upon dry ground again. And then finally, Noah and his family came out of the ark and immediately offered burnt offerings to God. God then reaffirmed his covenant with him. See, in all of this, the only variable is man's faith. God will do exactly as he says. But Noah was blessed because he responded to God in faith and he obeyed. Let's go to the next slide. God offers a covenant. You know, just one other point I wanted to make about this belt of water. You know, one of the things scientists have discovered that causes aging is our uh, exposure to cosmic radiation. Radiation ages you. Radiation you know, specifically designed, we use it for chemotherapy, for example, to, to kill cancer, because it kills. Doses of radiation are good. This belt of water around the earth, for some reason, after the flood, suddenly people didn't live as long anymore. Before the flood, they, led, they lived incredible spans of time. But if this was blocking out radiation, which a belt of water would do scientifically, it would block the cosmic radiation from coming in. Maybe the reason that suddenly ages got shorter, life expectancy got shorter, was simply this change in the earth. So we see after the flood, according to the Bible, the Bible records the lifespans of people before the flood and after. And guess what? After the flood, people start living shorter and shorter and shorter. Till it sort of stables around. In the time of David, he said, a man lives 70 years, and if he's strong, maybe 80. Actually, hasn't changed that much today. That, that was 2,000 years ago David said that. You know, I think with science, we do find ways to get things to last a little longer. But the truth is, under normal circumstance, we're mortal and we have a limited amount of time. So it's just a little, little bonus scientific thought right there, okay? But let's look over in, in Genesis chapter 8. We'll just finish the story. It says, By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw the surface of the ground was dry. 
But the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the ground came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. He says, as long as... Basically, as long as the earth endures, isn't saying it's going to last forever, but things are going to continue in a normal cycle. And so that's the world that we've inherited. That's the world we've come into. But see, Noah came out of the ark and he was grateful. And the first thing he did was offer some of the animals as a sacrifice. Because there's a principle in Scripture that offering life shows you understand what God gives you. It's in the offer of life you know what God has given you. Look in Genesis 9, just read a little further. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. You know, there was a little bit of an interesting theme throughout the movie. Because according to the scriptures, up until the time of the flood, men were vegetarians. And then after that time, uh, we were allowed to eat meat. Having grown up in a chicken farm, I appreciate that a lot. But there was a blessing given to men and, and mankind. That just be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Let's do this again. The very same words God had said to Adam and Eve were repeated now to them. But I want to read a little further and just talk about the timelessness and uh, an eternal promise of God. Look in, in verse uh, 9. It says, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You know, God's making a promise that there's not going to be a flood again. The thing that's so interesting is, God had made a covenant with Noah before the flood, and through faith, Noah received the blessing that everyone else would only receive later. In other words, the blessing that God gives the earth here, saying, I'm not going to destroy you again this way, Noah, through faith, received before the flood. There's a message there for us. Because as the end of time approaches, it will be the end for everyone. But God's offering us a way. A way to avoid that judgment, that condemnation. And it's in Jesus Christ. And one last point, look over in, in verse 12, continuing on. It says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on the earth. Now, if this indeed was the first time it ever rained, this was in fact the first rainbow in the sky. And so it is pretty cool. Because what's happening is the Bible, without being a science textbook, gives us 
reasonable dimensions for the ark, reasonable shape of the ark, it gives us a reason even within the explanation of why people were living a lot longer before the ark. Because if there was this, this layer of water, the temperature differentials in the earth, what makes weather wouldn't have been happening. Weather happens because the sun heats up. Anyone got a little greenhouse in their backyard? You know, this layer of water is called the greenhouse effect. It would actually trap the heat in and make the world more uniform. What makes a lot of sense is we have oil at the bottom of the North Pole. You know, we have, you know, like, like in the poles, in the places where it's cold, we have oil reserves. But how did that happen unless there was vegetation growing? That's where oil comes from, rotting vegetation. And so, how did it get there? Again, we see some interesting ideas presented in this story. You know, it's interesting, according to the Bible's sort of timing of things, the flood happened about two and a half thousand years before Jesus. But if you look in history books, you'll see that recorded history, reasonably recorded history, only goes back to about 2,000, 200, 300 years before Jesus. Now, there's all these little archaeological ideas, you know, man was here, man was there, but, but all those dating, and I, I can't get into all the science of that. But what's interesting is, recorded history of civilization goes back only to about the same time that we have the flood. And maybe a little before. There's maybe some evidences of pre-flood civilization as well. It's interesting. The Bible wasn't written, again, to be a textbook, but it fits with what we see in the world. So what's the conclusion? You know, one of the faith-building aspects of the scripture is that God repeats himself in history. And the reason we have this story, it should, it's meant to be a blessing for us. It's a tragic story, a story of judgment, a cataclysm that took away all life on earth except just that one arkful. That's a pretty drastic story. And yet when you really think about it, God's giving us a message. We call these things types when there's an example in the Old Testament that actually has a sort of New Testament truth associated with it. And it's interesting because Jesus himself, as well as other New Testament writers, they talk about the flood of Noah as a warning for what is going to happen later in history. And I just want to close with two passages. Luke 17, verse 26 and 27. Luke 17, verses 26 and 27. It says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, up until the, up until the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. You know, basically, their, their life just continued. People ignored the warnings, and they just continued on and on doing what they wanted to. And then another verse is over in Second Peter chapter 3. And we'll read verses 8 to 10. Second Peter chapter 3. You know, some of the early Christians actually hoped that Jesus was going to come back and the end of time would be before they died. I'm kind of glad it didn't happen because I'm here. You're here. We've been given a chance to believe in the message of Jesus. But look what it says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but any, everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. You might think, that's not the most positive way to end a sermon. But we're talking about a, an event that wiped out the world, except for one boat. 
And see, what's interesting is when you look at the description of how to build the ark, it sounds a lot like the church. Let's see if I've got this note here. No, there's only one way into the church. And there was only one door into the ark. All the animals came in it. And it says that God closed the door to the ark. No one else could do it. And God will close the door. But in the ark, they were saved. And so I want, I want us to just really enjoy this truth. The ark is right before you. The ark is all around you. The ark is the church of Christ. And He invites you to come in. And if you come in, you will survive the end. And that's a pretty awesome promise. Let's think about this as we pray and the worship team comes and takes the place. Our Father in God, we thank you. We thank you for the example that we are given in history with the story of Noah. And I pray, Father, that we can really just take this story to heart. That, Father, we can see that you are a gracious God, a patient God. And, Father, it's a sad state that our world is in. So many people are just selfish and seeking their own way and trying to get more and just trying to make their lives better at the cost of others. And I really pray, Father, that, that we don't just go along with that flow of humanity, but we really see this opportunity to follow your Son. Father, thank you for the example of Noah's faith. I pray that we could have faith just like him. I pray that we could listen to each word you tell us and that we could obey with joy. Father, I pray we also understand that it's not just the threat of death that needs to turn us. It's your invitation to life. It's what you're really wanting for us. Noah and his family emerged into a beautiful new world, cleansed and brand new. And Father, you have a plan for us that is beyond our understanding. This is temporary, this, this world. We are mortal. But you have prepared a place that's eternal for us. And you want us to dwell there with you forever. I pray, Father, that we find your will. We seek your will. That we give ourselves over to your will. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, which makes this all possible. And we pray this in his name. Amen.